0: My job is I train farmers in person. I go out with every individual new farmer that we work with. So it's hands-on technical assistance to make sure that people aren't going through this on their own. And you can't quit on your partners and your crewmates. You got to have grit. But Mother Nature is the real boss. She's in charge of all of us. So on any given day, I could have 10 to 20 people across 12 harbors with five different trucks all on the road. So how do I get all that kelp all to the right place, all at the right time? Tracing it back to what farm, what farmer, what species, and making sure everyone gets paid on time. (laughs) So that piece never falls through the cracks. One of the things that I would have liked to learn earlier, if I could go back in time.
1: It is. Such a pleasure to have you here today. Sorry it took so long to organize this.
0: Thank you for having me. I'm so excited that we have time to talk today.
1: Sounds like you had some weather issues the last time we tried to do this.
0: We finally got snow in Maine last week. We've been eagerly awaiting and we got it and we got a lot all at once. That's not good. Road conditions, you know, all the typical things that come with inclement weather. I think myself or a member of our team experienced last week, so (laughs) winter is here.
1: It is indeed. I've got a question, a bit of a weird one, but I I thought I need to ask this. If you're at a party or, you know, someone asks you the classic question. So what do you do? (laughs) (laughs) What is your answer? How do you explain your job?
0: That's a great question and doesn't feel weird at all, actually. I normally tell people that if I wanna have a quick conversation, I tell them I'm a marine biologist that works at seaweed. If I wanna to talk to the person and have a real conversation with them, because it normally ends up being a lot of layers of questions afterwards, I tell them that I work with a group of commercial fishermen who are now ocean farmers, and train and work alongside them in order to grow one of the most sustainable and healthy crops on the planet. And also that I work on the water, I work in an office, I work in a laboratory. So there's a lot of layers that go into that.
1: What sort of reaction do you get? Is it, are people confused, intrigued?
0: I would say both. It's a combination, (laughs) Okay. definitely. People normally, If I'm talking to an audience that's familiar with aquaculture, they have tons of questions and they want to know all the ins and outs. If I'm talking with people that don't live near the coast or have really little experience with the marine environment, sometimes I have to start at the absolute basics and even describe what aquaculture is. Like that word itself Mm. is sometimes foreign completely. So there's a lot of education that goes into just... What do you do when I answer that question? But I feel like having this role, that's that's also part of my job. Because the more people know and understand what we're actually doing here at Atlantic Sea Farms and in the seaweed farming industry, the more we're able to grow our audience, grow the consumers, and just grow the understanding of all the benefits that go into this.
1: Sounds like there is an educational component to your job.
0: A hundred percent. Most of the time I'm doing trainings and learnings and communicating with people to get them to better understand how to successfully have the outcome they want with a farm or with some research or even Mm -hmm. a product as well or cooking at home. There's a lot of different pieces that go into it.
1: So... You mentioned you uh, you have a degree in marine biology and aquaculture. For somebody that might be considering options for a college or a university education, would you recommend studying aquaculture?
0: Depends where your skill set and your interests lie. Mm. I think there are a lot of programs being created right now for more of hands-on learners. And those are things that I wish were more available to me when... I was starting out my career path because I had to do a lot of learning and working on the job that I did not necessarily have all the tools from just having an academic education.
1: Yeah, so this is the practical side of things.
0: Exactly, yeah. This Mm. industry requires a lot of thoughtful, meaningful, working with your hands, problem solving, understanding how to work with a diverse group of people, having social skills is really a huge part of my job, especially with that education component. How do you convey the essential information to all different types of people that need to know and understand it in order to be successful in this industry? So I am definitely would associate myself as a out-of-classroom learner as well. I do better with the with the kinetics and having my my hand working with my hands. So that's mostly where I can connect, but I think understanding biology, ecology, chemistry, physics, all of those things are pertinent to farming in different aspects. Yeah. So I wouldn't say you need a degree in order to accomplish any of those things. But yeah. having the learning and the understanding will make your job sometimes easier or see the connectivity between things that also is really important
1: would you say that there is possibly a lack of training around seaweed and seaweed farming at the moment
0: i don't know if i would say there's a lack of training i think we can Mm -hmm. always continue learning and improving to get to the place that we want to be and grow as an industry but i think skilled workforce is something that we need and I'm speaking from my perspective here in the state of Maine, which I want to say is is a very rural state, is a very old state, and is also a state that has good institutions and educational opportunities. But the amount of people that, that grow up here don't always stay here and continue working in their careers in our state. So finding jobs or I should say creating jobs that younger generations are interested in pursuing and that also provide good livelihoods with benefits and things that you would be looking for at any long-term career, we need to have those available in our state so that way people want to stay here and engage and use their skills to develop our industry, which is being done in other places in the world. but we are definitely looking to encourage more people. And I think aquaculture is one of the vehicles in our state that's growing that workforce right now.
1: What maybe isn't quite there is more of a local, local opportunities and resources for people to maybe upskill and, uh, and get trained on more practical elements. Is that a fair summary?
0: Yeah, practical elements, the, having the essential tools to to work on a farm, to work on a boat, to drive trucks in areas that are, you know, not easy to normally navigate. I mean, those are skills that ordinarily people wouldn't think are necessary for doing this type of work, but they 100 percent are. And there's a lot of value in those. And we need people that can work with their brains, work with their hands, work with their relationships, all of those things all at once <laughs> so it's Absolutely. a lot
1: to ask yeah yeah
0: but they're all integral parts
1: uh, was that a bit of a shock when when you sort of entered the the real world of aquaculture coming from uni compared to what you were expecting maybe was that a bit of a maybe not a shock but did you feel like there was something that the academic training had left out
0: i wouldn't say that my academic training left out it's it's just an additional component that can't be learned in a classroom. On-the-job training. Yeah, so the the first thing that I did when I started my professional career was get a job on a boat. And I knew that I needed to have the skill sets of understanding knots and weather and currents and how to work in those conditions and work alongside those people, speak that language, because it is really detailed and understanding also how to communicate with people without verbally communicating when you're working in really strenuous conditions in you know you have machinery going you have engines going the wind is blowing it's snowing it's dark because it's 4 in the morning you know how do you talk to your partner that is 20 feet away from you on the open ocean on some kind of structure or barge and know what they're saying and and be able to communicate. You know, that's not something that you open a book and you learn. That's something you learn through doing and working with skilled people. So, I'm very lucky that I was able to work alongside captains that were very knowledgeable and willing to teach me and work with me and learn, but I also showed up every day. And I also worked in all types of environments and you can't quit and you can't quit on your partners and your crewmates. So there's a lot of grit is a word that I really feel like ties into this industry. You got to have grit in order to make it work. And that is something that is learned by
1: doing. In the field. In the field. Yeah.
0: Yeah. But it also I need to was... ask you now.
1: <laughs> Sorry, go ahead. No, I'll ask you later. Go ahead. As
0: um, I was gonna say, but you know, working in the field is that skill set. But it was also really motivating to me to have crew members that would say, Hey, Liz, what's this type of fish? What's this thing? And have my academic background to say, oh, this is the species. Oh, it's interesting. We're seeing this, this time of year, look at this temperature change, you know, connecting those pieces and and seeing a greater whole.
1: Almost like a complementary set of skills. Yeah. Yeah. I need to ask you now, how do you communicate? when the wind is blowing (laughs) and there's machinery and...
0: There's a lot of repetition in some aspects of aquaculture. And I'll preface by saying that I've worked on commercial aquaculture for mussel farming, scallop farming, commercial lobstering. So those are the -the on-the-boat trainings that I was doing prior to seaweed. Seaweed was gained at the time where I was working on commercial shellfish farms. So we are adding different components to the farm as that business was growing. And when you communicate, you, you either have partners that you work with on a regular basis and you start to learn each other's personalities and body language, and it's an interpersonal communication mm-hmm. that you're having. You also, you know, you're normally, when you have engines and machines going, you're wearing headphones too to protect your ears. So you're doing a lot of hand signals. And you're also looking for the rhythm of the work. So you have to be proactive, not reactive. Because when you're working on the water, there are so many things that can happen and can go wrong. You have to be anticipating what could happen, what the outcomes could be if you are not aware at that moment. So a lot of awareness, a lot of safety, and repetition of doing things over and over. So that way you get them very efficient.
1: For somebody that might be coming out of university or college now, this is going to sound probably quite alien to them, uh, but also essential, uh, as, as you're saying, is key, right?
0: It's more so safety. Yeah. Right? It, it's keeping yourself and your coworkers and your equipment and your company, it's keeping everybody safe. Absolutely. That, and that's the number one goal.
1: And would you say there is any... Any training resources, even books that you would point people toward? Or is it just a case of you need to get a, a job on a boat and, and learn and learn in the field?
0: I think it it's different for everybody's skill set and learning style. So maybe getting on a boat isn't best for everybody. Mm. There are a lot of resources I know in the state of Maine that are working towards educating prospective farmers, and that's of any age, of any region in the state, to understand, you know, the workings around starting an aquaculture business and learning basic skill sets for, like, knots. And we have a lot of online resources where people can find businesses that are hiring specifically in aquaculture through the Gulf of Maine Research Institute. They have a really good aquaculturist page, so there are internships that are starting now through the major universities, uh, the University of Maine and Sea Grant, where they're trying to place students that are looking for this type of work, either at their high level in college or their their post-work, to actually work on farms, work alongside farmers, work on the water, and gain these experiences in consolidated time periods, like in the summer when it's probably the best opportunity to learn. You know, it's warmer, it's safer, it's a little bit more enjoyable, I will say also. (laughs) So there are opportunities that exist and I know that people utilize those resources.
1: Yeah, that's very useful and we'll we'll put some of those in the show notes for sure. Great. So far in your your experience and and career in aquaculture, what would you say are the um, highlights and lowlights?
0: It's a great question. Highlights are definitely working alongside my partners, partner farmers on the water and seeing their excitement and their pride in their crop and mm-hmm. growing a beautiful line of kelp and hauling it up onto the boat and just their excitement of look what we grew together. And also when they try to when they try it firsthand you know sometimes they're like i just i gotta taste it so we'll take a blade (laughs) off the farm and we'll eat it right then and there and when the farmers actually enjoy eating it fresh without any process nothing going into it other than their own blood sweat and tears and our beautiful clean cold water of Maine that is just so so gratifying it really doesn't get too much better than that yeah the only piece that's That's even better is when the year prior, they've had a difficult season and -hmm. then they overcome that obstacle and the next year they outgrow themselves and they have a bigger crop on the same footprint. That's just the cherry on top of watching somebody grow and develop and work with their natural environment to build something greater than themselves. The second part of your question, the lows. So those are really, I would say, I'm going to blame the weather on the
1: lows. Fair enough.
0: We have really harsh conditions working in seaweed farming in Maine, in the Gulf of Maine, because we're doing a winter crop, right? So all of the labor intensive time that really goes into setting up the farms for the seeding in the fall I mean, your fingers at the end of the season after seeding and tying in seed ropes and uncoiling rope and doing all your buoys and painting all your, yeah, painting all your buoys and your floats. I mean, your hands hurt by Christmas. That is something I will say. So it takes a toll on you physically. And when storms bring unwanted waves and wind and farms are then influenced by that, Those are the lows. But I will say we've had a lot of experiences with our network and multiple seasons so far that most of our farmers are well prepared for the conditions that they get. So we're learning, we're growing, we're getting better every year. But Mother Nature is the real boss. She's in charge of all of us. (laughs) When you're working with farming and ocean conditions.
1: Yeah, we will come back to that because I've got possible question around how to maybe make your life a bit easier. Yeah. Don't hold your breath. (laughs) Uh, I have questions, no answers. Is there anything about seaweed aquaculture that you wish you had learned at the very beginning? You may have mentioned one already. Something that you said, ah, it's, you know, it's fine now. I know, but if (laughs) if only I knew earlier.
0: Well, we're definitely. A young company, we are, like I said, improving every year because we have, we always have room to improve. I think one of the things that I would have liked to learn earlier, if I could go back in time and I was able to better understand wild kelp populations in the state, Mm
1: -hmm.
0: I would, and I know that there are researchers that have worked on this and there are catalogs but from personal experience that's something that i think with my own two eyes i would have loved to experience to see the differences of our wild populations currently because we're definitely seeing water temperatures rising in the gulf of maine alone it's one of the fastest warming bodies of water in the in the world so there's a lot of changes that are happening here and we're seeing that environmentally And as much as that isn't necessarily directed to seaweed farming, there is a direct correlation of what we see on farms and what we see in our ocean health and understanding how our climate is changing at the rate that it is just from being interested in our world and our natural population is something that I would probably have liked to be more attuned to earlier in life.
1: That's a great point a great point what difference do you think it would have made to you is it more of an awareness i
0: think it would have made me be more proactive in understanding what differences are actually happening mm. doing more monitoring so we would understand different changes in temperature and ph and water quality things that people are studying but personally just to have a better understanding so that way all of that information could be related back to our farmers. So that way they also would be seeing these things. They are seeing these things. They're out on the water every day. They're actually seeing them more than anybody else. But to have that firsthand background to communicate with one another what we're seeing and in turn put that into a quantitative data to to influence okay how do we best farm seaweed while we're seeing and experiencing all these changes so i think our industry in maine we're getting to a point where we're getting we're getting on the same page in all the thing all the questions that we have right Uh so how do we all get the answers at the right time that can be utilized in the current farm season so that's every year more data, learning more, more applied knowledge. And and those things go really far.
1: It feels like, I mean, what you just talked about is really interesting. It feels like it's not just interesting, but possibly a concern for you as a farmer.
0: It's always a concern because the less consistent things are year to year, the more variables, the more you have to factor in that there could be drastic changes. And so we're really lucky that Our farms are situated in areas that have been there long enough season to season that even though we see discrepancies in in the water temperature and and the climate at large, we're seeing consistency on the farms and we're actually seeing improvement. Hmm. So things are holding true for what we know on the farms, but that's not to say that things can't continue to change. We know they're going to, right? The the only constant, especially in nature, is change. So how do we look forward enough to combat those when they become our reality right now?
1: Okay, let me switch gear and, and ask you about Atlantic Sea Farm. I mean, obviously you're, you're part of the team at Atlantic Sea Farms. What is the relationship between the company and the farmers?
0: Great. So Atlantic Sea Farms partners with individual farmers The farmers are mostly commercial fishermen or commercial aquaculturists. And Mm -hmm. right now we have 30 partner farmers. All of our farmers own their own leases. They own their own boats, equipment, run their own crew. They are all owner-operated, which is essentially built off of our existing fishery in the state of Maine. And that is the commercial lobster fishery. It's predominantly what most of the workforce on our coast focuses on, and that hasn't always been the case. There have always been opportunities for fishermen to diversify into other fisheries outside of just lobster. We've had scallops, which is still in existence today, but every year the quota is smaller and smaller. We used to have urchins, we used to have shrimp, we used to have ground fish, and most of these things are really limited at the moment, and as, like shrimp is completely closed. That's it's not a viable fishery anymore for us because of stocks. So
1: okay, all of so these not oper- not, uh, not because of legislation. Sorry to interrupt. Not because of legislation, but because of just stock not being there.
0: Yeah, the the state has regulated that. Well, the, the state issues when fisheries are open and closed here for. Um, stock assessment and and that's where the shrimp is linked to so in order to reserve the existing stocks they closed that fishery and that's been a number of years now so we have some partner farmers that directly got into seaweed aquaculture because of that fishery closure because that was something that they heavily relied on and there are a lot of people that i've talked to that were part of fisheries in the past that, you know, at one point, they you couldn't give a shrimp away. There were so much along the coast. You could go to any fisherman's household that got that and it was something that they had on hand that you could buy from them in the season. So, wow. drastic change. And so the, the vision behind our our CEO, Brianna Warner, taking over leadership role in 2018 of the company, was to create diversification for our existing fisheries. And it's really the reason that we here at Atlantic Sea Farms come to work every day and exist as a company. Our mission is to create jobs and a viable opportunity for people to diversify into. And with that being said, it has to be something that people can get into with a limited risk because it's a new business venture and there are a lot of costs associated with aquaculture, just as there are with fishing. But There's a lot of infrastructure and large equipment that you need. You obviously need a boat. You need all the farm equipment, the moorings, the ropes, the buoys. And those are things that we noticed. Okay, fishermen have 90% of all of that equipment. Right. Plus, they have the social license to operate on the water. They have that skill set that we've talked about previously, tying knots, understanding wind direction and currents. And also, they're the ones best suited to work in that environment because that's what they're accustomed to. They've Mm -hmm. either learned that themselves through working in an apprenticeship program, which is something that our state offers for our lobster fishery, or it's something that's generational and their fathers or grandfathers or aunts and uncles, whatever family member it may be taught them from a young age. So there are multiple ways that people have gained that knowledge, but it's that essential knowledge to operate on the water and the social license to be there. And that's extremely important. Yeah. So the fact that we have over 6,000 lobster license holders in the state of Maine, that all have boats, that all own their own businesses, but don't have other opportunities other than lobster, And what happens in the face of climate change, all of those peoples and people and their families and the people that support them as well. So their crew on their boats, their dealers, the people that deliver their fuel, that work on their wharf, that truck their product, that work at the local gas station that they go to every morning for their coffee. Like what happens if this fishery goes down, all of those associated businesses will go with it. And that's too much at risk. For our state, our economy, for our people. You know, it, it's people that we're talking about, for people's lives and their families. It, it's too much at stake. So that's why we've created Atlantic Sea Farms as a mission based company to fill a gap for people to have something else to diversify into. And mm-hmm. it's also, Great because of the seasonality. So our commercial lobstering inshore season happens primarily from early June to late September. And we put our seaweed farms in in October and they're harvested in May. So it's counter cyclical to their traditional fishery. It keeps their crew on their boat year round. It keeps them on the water year round. And it also has... The added benefit of having a paycheck in the spring during harvest season before their primary season starts to actually have capital to invest in your main business. Whereas that is normally the time when people are the most strapped for cash. And so how do you start your business off on the right foot if you can't invest in it? So something else I should really mention as a key part to our partnership with our farmers is that to remove the initial risk, we work with farmers and supply their seed stock so all of their seaweed spools those are free to our partner farmers and if you were to pay for those on a level say equivalent to like an oyster seed which you would get from a commercial hatchery it could be almost a ten thousand dollar investment to buy seed to start a farm that we do for free for our farmers and that's intentional And so at our headquarters in Biddeford, Maine, we have our entire business all under one roof. And we just moved into our building roughly a year ago, but we have a nursery where we produce all of our seeds and and our laboratory as well, where that uh, work is done. And then so our farmers get the seeds for free. And then my job is I train farmers in person. I go out with every individual new farmer that we work with for their first seeding and then for their first harvest in the spring. So it's hands-on technical assistance to make sure that people aren't going through this on their own or you know having to use a platform that might not be the easiest for them to learn from. There are a lot of resources out there and all of them are valuable in their own way, but there's something to be said about Working with a person and working alongside somebody and going through the motions together and having someone live in real time to talk to you about your problems and your issues and your concerns and, and the details. So it's really about the details and setting up the farm. Like in fishing, people say you can have a bad day, but the next day it could be fine. But that's not what farming's like. If you had a, a bad farming season, you have a whole entire bad season right you have a bad season or a good season not a good day or a bad day so it's really imperative that people start off on the right foot in order to be successful and so the other aspect of our partnership with our farmers that is critical is that we provide a 100% buyback guarantee that we will buy all the kelp our farmers grow and harvest and we have an agreement that we put in place in the fall so before our farmers even outplant their crop They know Mm -hmm. the price and they know that they have a buyer because one of the things we find is, you know, why would you start an entire new business, take on added risk, and then not know there's a place for your product to end up and a way to make money. So that's what Atlantic Sea Firm's partnership is all about, is community building, is learning hands-on, having a resource, and Mm -hmm. also having... Your quality seed stock for free and a guaranteed buyer in the spring.
1: So from day one, before even they start seeding uh, the lines, they will know that there is basically a market for their for their products.
0: Exactly. And you know I think all businesses and walks of life have seen the challenges come out of our pandemic from Covid. Mm-hmm. But one of the things that that actually did for our company, was COVID came out like early spring, like right before harvest season. And so we had all of these farmers that were invested in us. We were equally invested in them. Their farms were growing, things were looking great. The kelp was lush, it was ready to be harvested. (laughs) And then we have a pandemic and all restaurants shut down. All distribution shut down. Businesses closed, you know, everybody at home. And our farmers called us and they said, so are you coming to get the kelp? Is this still the plan? hundred percent. We bought every single piece, pound, blade of kelp that our farmers grew, even though at that point in time, we didn't know what was going to happen to the market and we didn't understand what was happening in the world. So the fact that we showed up, we stuck with our commitment, we honored our promise, that really carried. And the following year, our farmers didn't even call to say, are you picking up the kelp? They just said, <laughs> when and where? You know, because they knew that we would be there. If, if you can do it in this stage of life, we know that we can do it moving forward with any other obstacle. So that was definitely an eye-opening experience for us. And I think a, a real loyalty building opportunity for the farmers that we had at that point in time.
1: Do you know where the kelp ended up going on on that, that particular year?
0: Yeah, we, one of the other things that came out of that, you know, obstacle was that at that point in time, our kelp was mostly wholesale going direct to restaurants. And so we had to pivot and being a small, agile startup, we're lucky that we have that ability. We actually created a retail brand And that was because of COVID. We hired an amazing team member, um, Zoe Croft. She's our sales director. And she was the only member of our sales team. And she created an entire retail outlet from that opportunity. And now we are in every Whole Foods nationwide with multiple products and multiple SKUs.
1: That's impressive.
0: So it actually opened an opportunity for us that we weren't pursuing at the time because we thought, well, we have this great chef you know, direct-to-table, direct-to-consumer opportunity here. Let's stick with this. And then we realized it wasn't possible. So we weren't going to give up. It, that wasn't an option. It was build something better and build something bigger and bigger than ourselves, I should say, because now you can go to a store and actually buy Atlantic Sea Farms products, can get our seaweed salad, our fermented seaweed salad at Whole Foods, and now our new sea veggie burgers are starting to hit the shelves stores nationwide so it's really launched our brand as a retail product
1: thanks for painting that very detailed picture it's, it's, it's really interesting i wanted to ask you just a little bit in more detail what where does your role specifically come in you you said i think technical assistance does that mean basically supporting almost tutoring the farmers as they as they go along.
0: Yes. So my role is directly linked to the farmers. I manage our entire partner farmer network and our seaweed supply here at Atlantic Sea Farm. So I recruit new farmers, onboard new farmers, mm-hmm. educate farmers about what it actually involves and what we expect of our farmers and the quality products that are the end goal. And then hands-on training, technical assistance from start to finish. So I like to tell people that I'm most popular between five and six in the morning and five and six at night because that's when fishermen are on the boat heading to the farm or when they're coming home from the farm. So they're thinking, okay, this is what I this is what I just saw Got guy call Liz and tell her or Hey Liz, I'm going to check on the farm. You want me to get anything? You looking for any data, you know. Those are the types of conversations that I'm having with them. But it's also about obtaining their farms and advocacy in aquaculture as well. So helping them with the through the permitting process to achieve their leases because it's a very lengthy process in Maine and it's rigorous for the right we the right reasons. And I will you know, state that fact that our process is much shorter than other states in the U.S. I can't really complain in comparison to the West Coast, where there are a lot more regulating bodies that you have to work through and a much longer timeline. But in Maine, the Peroni process is robust. It is structured well, and it's lengthy. So it's not made for all commercial fishermen to easily navigate. It's made more so for a marine scientist to work through. So I do a lot of training and help with farmers on that side, uh, more of the paperwork and the mapping, incorporating all of their knowledge of their local area and their fishing communities, because there's a lot of multiple user interactions on the water, especially in Maine, because it's a place where there's a lot of recreation and tourism as well. So commercial fishing, recreational fishing, tourism, and then commercial aquaculture. How do all of those play uh, together and work well and function as a cohesive unit? So I'm working with farmers on that aspect. And then I manage all of our farm monitoring, auditing process during the growing season to make sure everyone's on track and we're seeing all the right characteristics for the crop and also manage our entire harvest season, which spans roughly three months from the southern end of the coast all the way to the northern end of the coast, that products are, you know, the crop, I should say, the kelp itself is coming in at the right time because we're working across 12 different harbors and 30 different farmers. And so on any given day, I could have 10 to 20 people across 12 harbors, with five different trucks all on the road. So how do I get all that kelp all to the right place all at the right time and not miss anything? And everything that we do is traceable. So then tracing it back to what farm, what farmer, what species, and making sure everyone gets paid on time because they definitely let you know if that's delayed. (laughs) So that piece never falls through the cracks.
1: I bet it doesn't. Yeah. Yeah.
0: (laughs) So those are the, like a a year long picture um, because we work, you know, season to season.
1: Of course, yeah. Yeah. On the very technical level, as you mentioned, the support that you give and some of the resources that people, that you and farmers have access to. uh, There's this concept of the seaweed tractor uh, that comes up every so often. Sometimes as a joke or as a, an attainable dream. I like to go beyond the joke for a second and the, maybe the science fiction, and <laughs> and ask you. But well, first of all, what equipment are you or the farmers you work with using at the moment? And it, I'm thinking about equipment in and around the boat and equipment to do with the monitoring.
0: I'll start with equipment on the boat. Yeah. And and go from there. So from a farmer perspective. People are really utilizing commercial fishing equipment that they have access to and that they're accustomed to right now, and there's some retrofitting going on, but the core pieces that are being utilized in main seaweed farming are boats that are minimum 30 to 35 feet long with additional skiffs and smaller boats, 20 feet roughly. Um, to do some of the monitoring and the detail-oriented seeding, but the larger boat for being seaworthy and carrying all the equipment. Mast and booms are something that have almost become essential across our network for harvesting because the kelp blades themselves, when they grow to be 12 feet or more in length, you really need that height in order to keep things from going across the deck of the boat, and in order to haul everything in at a at a very quick pace as well. So mast and booms are pretty key. Haulers, electric, we call them pot haulers here, but they're really what they use to bring in their lobster traps. And so it's a way to quickly and mechanically bring in the line without having to do a lot of hand pulling and saving your back. So those are the two primary pieces of equipment, which honestly, you know, if we're thinking in comparison to the farmer tractor, are pretty minimal. And um, if you were to go along the coast of Maine or greater New England, the Atlantic coastline, those are the traditional things you would see on most boats anyway.
1: And would you say that, like you say, it's pretty basic, minimal, would you say it's suitable, appropriate, or or maybe another way to put it is... Do you feel a need for perhaps better equipment or more automation or more advanced machinery that would make your life and the farmer's life easier?
0: There's always room to improve. We're always looking to make things better. I've seen some blueprints and talked with people that are interested in some of these, what feel like larger-than-life ideas right now, and I don't think that there's anything wrong with those for the right application but for farm size in Maine what we have right now works well because it doesn't require high capital investment to have so that way the farmers are making more money per season and I will say that the equipment itself sounds minimal but the effort involved is not minimal because of the amount of labor that it takes like to have a, you need a crew one person doesn't successfully harvest a, a four acre, which is a typical size farm in Maine, you know, so four acres, one point six hectares, is the traditional footprint. Maine is not a place that is going to be easily covered by large scale farms in the inshore waters with the way our commercial fishery and our use of our waterway is right now. So for the scale that the state is likely to maintain for the foreseeable future on, on farm sizes, what we have in existence works well. And it yeah. and it works for the farmers. And I will say each different operation, since they're all independently owned, have their own nuances that improve their system and their setup. And they're very ingenious. And it, it if you were to look with the naked eye at the boat and this was not something you were tuned to, to looking for, you would not see the value of the simple things that are there. It is really in the details and it's in having a crew, having a team of people like we talked about earlier that can read the room, read the boat that understands, okay, the captain's turning the boat this way. I'm going to dictate the line in the other direction. Like it is very simple mechanisms and movements that make huge differences for efficiency. Mm. So there I wouldn't say there's a there's a blanket solution for the way that we operate here.
1: Okay, this is a, a, a question I like to ask everybody, and and today in a, in, in a way we've already, we've already covered it, uh, but I'll ask anyway to see if there's any any more nuggets that we can take out of. What are some of the biggest pain points and frustrations in your current jobs? I'm not just asking to go on a about it, although I it's certainly could fun, uh, <laughs> but it's more because I realize that there's potentially a lot of people listening that would be interested, maybe interested in understanding what sort of change and innovation could enable the industry, maybe not necessarily to grow to a larger scale, if that's not something that would be welcome in a specific region, but maybe just to get better, more efficient, or maybe just have a, a, an easier time doing it. Does anything come to mind?
0: I, uh, speaking from Atlantic Sea Farms, I can think in kind of three different dimensions. So thinking like a farmer, something that is really hard to come by in our state is working waterfront access and infrastructure. It exists in the areas where that work is prominent, but as we have limited solutions for diversification our working waterfront is also disappearing. We have more coastline in the state of California and we only have 20 miles of working waterfront. So having access to the people that need it most and to those that rely on it for work for their workforce is critical and something that we need to invest in as a state in order to maintain our industries, our fishing and our aquaculture industries. Thinking about A seed producer from our hatchery, or from our nursery, one of the things that's essentially necessary to move forward is to understand climate change and how rising temperatures will also affect the biology of the organisms and the seaweeds that we cultivate. So working towards the best-suited solution for growing what is native to the sea but also that will withstand climate change and and temperature change. And the third viewpoint, well, I could say four, actually. So the third viewpoint, (laughs) because we also produce our own product, our retail line. So we have a production facility as well in Biddeford that's SQF certified and organic certified, as as well as our crop and our nursery is organic certified. From a production standpoint, having... High tech, cost effective, energy effective processing equipment that is made for seaweed mm. and not made for other types of terrestrial vegeta- uh, vegetables and things that we then retrofit to work for seaweed. You know, having access to processing equipment that works efficiently from a climate and energy standpoint and also from a cost effective standpoint with access to, to gaining that equipment.
1: So if I jump in yeah. uh, on that particular point, because I'm interested, what form of primary processing? I'm assuming when you say processing, uh, you mean primary processing? And if so, what do you, how do you stabilize your seaweed?
0: So we have multiple pathways to multiple product forms. Yeah, We have frozen product. We have fermented product. We have Mm -hmm. powdered product, and we also have refrigerated product. So we fit almost all of those categories, refrigerated, frozen, and dry shelf stable.
1: Okay. And you feel that there's a need for improvement on all of them?
0: Getting to a more energy efficient production form for all of those forms of production would be beneficial moving forward, especially as the amount of seaweed that we grow as a network also mm-hmm. continues to grow.
1: I sort of assumed that you were talking about primary processing. Was there anything on the secondary processing?
0: We ourselves don't do biorefining for our product, Okay. but we do in-house fermentation. And that's something that, you know, there's temperature requirements for that. And it takes a lot of space to ferment a lot of product because there are periods of time in which you're holding that product. And so Mm -hmm. space is always a limiting factor for us, whether it's on the farms, in the nursery, in the production space. And even though we've moved into a new building that we've planned out to be for at least the next 10 years, we somehow still feel like we don't have enough space. (laughs) (laughs) So um, that's one of the processes that We're always looking to improve for efficiency in space and and storage as well, considering how expensive cold storage is. And that's something else that's a pinch point for us on the East Coast. There's really limited options for large-scale cold storage along our our coastline. And that's something that we're looking always for companies to invest in and, and to have good working relationships with people that do offer that as a service.
1: Interesting. Was there a fourth? There is it is
0: a fourth because we also have our own retail brand in sales department. So the other thing too, that we've talked about a little bit is educating the consumer on why this is something that you want to buy and put in your cart every time you go to the grocery store. So all the health benefits, the local environmental benefits, and the benefits to our economy and our social impact. You can actually do a lot by buying one jar of fermented seaweed salad from Atlantic Sea Farms. And one of the things that we do is, you know, on all of our packaging, the farmer that grew that product is on that box, on that jar. You can actually see the person who's benefiting the most from you buying this product.
1: Hmm.
0: And that's not to say... Also, that you yourself are going to benefit from all the essential vitamins and nutrients you're getting from kelp, the small carbon footprint, that actually that crop compared to eating something else that could be a red meat or a corn or something that has that much more input into it for for processing and things like that. So educating the consumer as to why that product is what you want to buy and pick up off the shelf.
1: If you had uh somebody that is new to this is there a particular product that you would encourage them to try
0: Mm, great question my favorite new product of ours is our basil pesto sea veggie burger they're just starting to hit stores now and are available on our retail store on our website Mm -hmm. and i Love them. I will admit that I'm a carnivore by palate, but this is definitely a flavor profile that is really enjoyable and can be utilized in a lot of different dishes. So you can go with your traditional, put it on a bun and have it with your favorite condiments, but you can also put it in a poke dish, you can cook it over an uh, open fire in a cast iron pan. There are so many ways to enjoy it and I think that's why I like it the most. Thanks. Thanks for asking.
1: No worries, it's almost dinner time here. I'm getting...
0: <laughs> I have to find a way to send some over overseas to you because <laughs> we... Yeah,
1: or maybe, maybe I'll come over.
0: Oh, okay. Taste. There we go.
1: I feel like we could go on forever, but I'm conscious that (laughs) we've already uh, on extra time and I don't want to take advantage of your time. I'll ask you this because I think I just want to get it 100% clear. So looking at the supply chain from the farm to the burger that I'm really looking forward to taste, the farm you said is owner-operated. Correct. And these these people are basically partners.
0: They're 100% partners.
1: Then... The rest of the supply chain, is that owned by Atlantic Seafarm or is it, again, I'm going to use the word outsourced to partners?
0: The only part that is not done in-house by people directly supported and and as employees at Atlantic Seafarms, the burgers, we work with a co-packer, every other product we make in-house and... We label all of our own jars, we package all of our own products, we do all of our own, you know. Once we have the distributor come to our loading dock door, we load the trucks ourselves. Then, once it leaves with a distributor, that's when it becomes the responsibility outside of Atlantic Sea Farm's hands. But everything from sourcing the seaweed, creating the seed stock in the nursery, working with the partners, working on the farms, Harvesting, processing, packaging, just dist- like then to distributing—that's all done here in house, with the partnership of our farmers. Yeah, because they do all the farming, as you mentioned, and we are located all together under one roof in Biddeford, Maine.
1: Liz, this has been extremely interesting. It's been fun. Uh, I'm really—it's really impressive how you went from the very technical elements on the boat to all the way to uh, the processing and the, you know, product developments and all of that. It's been a very wide ranging conversation. Uh, I really enjoyed it. Thanks so much for taking the time.
0: Thank you so much for having me. It's been a pleasure to talk to you. And I'm really excited to continue following your podcast and all your conversations ahead.
1: Would you like to share a final thought message Call to action. Other than obviously go and try the burger, uh, which I would <laughs> at this point encourage everybody to do.
0: There are a couple taglines that are coming to mind. I'm trying to pick the one I'm feeling most akin to at the moment. But I think the the main takeaway is good food should do good, and you can do good by picking sustainable options that have impact, where the people that grow and produce our food are those that see the most direct economic benefit. People that grow and make our food deserve to be paid well for their time and their effort and the love and care that they put into those products. And that's what we firmly believe at Atlantic Sea Farms.
1: Brilliant. Thanks for that. Where can people find out more about you and atlantic sea farms
0: yeah to learn more about atlantic sea farms you can find us at our website atlanticseafarms.com and on all social media platforms instagram facebook tiktok and you can connect with me directly on linkedin and all of my team as well any of us would love to hear comments and questions that you get from this interview
1: Excellent. Thank you very much. Thank you.